Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, how are y'all doing today? Good. Well, as you might expect, this has been a busy week here at Calvary of Albuquerque. 4001 Osuna Road, Northeast. But one of the great things that's come out of this is we've had leaders and uh, pastors from around this country come and show their support and be here with us. One of the people that we have asked to come and speak today to this congregation is a longtime member of this fellowship, a board member, and someone, I believe, who can give some good answers to some questions that many of us have right now. Would you please welcome Paul Saber? Good morning. As I was about to come up here, somebody said, oh, I've seen your name all over the Internet this week. Uh, I saw it all over the paper this morning. So I'm glad to be back in Albuquerque. Um, I've been here most of this week, as uh, some of you may have been here on Wednesday night, and I want to first and foremost tell you it is truly with a heavy heart uh, that I am up here. I am saddened by the events of the last week. The board is saddened by them. Uh, And most importantly, you need to understand, our heart goes out to each and every one of you. It is clear that this past Wednesday, as we communicated, as many board members spoke and pastors spoke, that our heart this week was for reconciliation, to deal internally as a family with issues that we were faced with last Sunday. I know each of you last Sunday, as I heard, actually I, I think I watched the 11 o'clock service on the Internet, but as I heard, and I know you heard, Pete's heart, that he felt restricted by this board. I'm up here to tell you today, under no uncertain terms, Pete was ever restricted to do his job as senior pastor. He was given the full liberty of the role of senior pastor outlined by the board in the bylaws. And he did an admirable job of that running the day-to-day of this church. I want to tell you, though, that on Monday of this past week, Skip Heitzig came before the board and offered his resignation. This board unanimously would not accept his resignation. We did, however, receive Pete's resignation on Monday of the same week, the first time we actually had seen it other than what we saw last Sunday through the Internet. And the board did receive unanimously his resignation. And our hearts and prayers are with Pete. But it is clear that as the events have unfolded this week, that there seem those who want to create issue and make issues beyond what we can contain, as you all probably witnessed this morning, in the paper. And I want to spend just a few minutes with you this morning to go through some things that I know have been stirring around Albuquerque all week. Someone said, well, you can't hardly go anywhere where someone doesn't have an opinion about what took place. You can't hardly go anywhere where someone doesn't have a perspective. Well, my heart this morning is to share with you what the realities are. 
You will also see these, uh, this information posted on the Calvary website. And I'm sure after four services between last night and after this one, uh, you'll probably put them all together and I'll probably say something. Well, he didn't say that at my service, so go to the website. I want to tell you first and foremost, there has been no financial impropriety at this church whatsoever. For over 10 years, Calvary of Albuquerque has submitted to outside audits that each and every audit has been met with the same resounding tonality that this church is above reproach in all of its financial dealings, which is great news, and you should all take great pleasure in that. I want to say to you that two years ago, I stood up on this same very stage with, at that time, a set of board members. Those board members were part of the transition. And I want you to know who those men were so that you understand who we were as a board and what, in fact, we were dealing with during the transition of two years ago. First and foremost, Ray Zeiler, a local accountant and acting treasurer of Calvary of Albuquerque. Greg Zanetti, a local financial advisor. Pete Nelson, senior pastor. Skip Heitzig, pastor emeritus and chairman of the board. Greg Laurie, senior pastor, Harvest Christian Fellowship. Franklin Graham, who is with us this morning, president and chairman of the boards of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Samaritan's Purse International, along with myself, a local business person, in Albuquerque for a number of years until I moved to San Diego. I want to address for you now what you may be hearing, what the paper has, has alluded to, and I want you to understand the truth as we knew it on the board and as we know it with this board. The first accusation you will hear is that Skip and Linya somehow received monies I want to tell you unequivocally that the board, the men that I have on that list that you saw, unanimously, with Skip and Linya not in the room, gave Skip a severance for the 23 years that he served in this fellowship as the founding pastor of Calvary of Albuquerque. The second accusation made today in the paper was that Skip took assets from this church. Again, I want to reiterate, no such thing happened. In fact, what did take place was that Calvary of Albuquerque gifted to Ocean Hills Christian Fellowship, another ministry, the following things, ministry to ministry. The line-on-line equipment that was used on Wednesday nights that Pete Nelson knew he would not utilize. Two used automobiles, one for Skip, one for Linya, gifted to Ocean Hills. Miscellaneous office furniture, laptop computer, and an oversized pulpit that only Skip could fill. (laughs) The third accusation was that there was somehow improper funding of ministries, specifically 
Calvary Connection Radio Ministry. Again, unanimously supported by the men that you saw, made the clear determination that this ministry would continue and that Skip's radio broadcast would continue to reach across this nation. Pete Nelson made the motion and the board accepted a process by which any deficits that would take place that Calvary of Albuquerque and supported unanimously by the board would cover those deficits for a period of a number of years, fully until 2006 of this year, at which time a staggered method of paying for those would be done between Ocean Hills Ministry and Calvary of Albuquerque. You need to understand that there will be those that will try to discredit the truth. There will be those that will make accusation. I've already seen today little things running around the church from a group of people bring Pete Nelson back. You need to understand he resigned The board is saddened by it, but we received his resignation. It is our heartfelt desire that healing begins. It is the board's desire that we can begin to share with you through the website, over the next 45 days, an annual report communicating to you all the ministries of this church, as well as financial audits within the annual report. My heart and the board's heart is that healing does begin. In fact, one board member of the past wrote a letter. We're all familiar with him, Greg Laurie. To my brothers and sisters at Calvary of Albuquerque, it has been my privilege to serve on the board for some years. Skip is and always will be the father of this ministry. As he preached the good news to many of you, and you long with friends and family came to Christ under his outstanding biblical teaching and preaching. They had no, Skip and Linya came to New Mexico some 25 years ago and began this ministry. They had no funding, no resources to speak of, but a bold step of faith came to reach this community, state, and through your faithful support, the country and the world. I look forward to see what God is going to do, Greg says. You can see his full letter as well on the website. Our hope and prayer is that healing can begin. And I would say to you the greatest sermon that could ever be preached in this pulpit for the outside world, because they are now watching, is a spirit of unity from this fellowship. Another friend of this ministry, a long-standing friend of this ministry, and one who we have all come to know and love and get to watch him across uh, the media, listen to his festivals and his father's crusades, speaks boldly, speaks truth, wanted to be here in support, first and foremost, of this fellowship and his love for this fellowship. It is my greatest pleasure to introduce to you Franklin Graham.
Good morning. I came today to stand with you. I want you to know how much I appreciate this church for the support that you all have been over the years to Samaritan's Purse, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And I come to stand with Skip Heitzig, a man that I know, a man that I respect, a man that I love, a man of integrity, a man of God. When the decision was made a couple of years ago, and I was on the board at that time, uh, to bring Pete uh, to this church, all of us were impressed uh, with this tremendous ability that this young man has to teach the Word of God. Uh, he's an incredible guy. Uh, I look at a young guy like that and I say, gee, how come I don't have that gift? Uh, Pete is a marvelous and uh, we saw so much potential there. But preaching in this pulpit and running a mega church are two different things. And all of us on the board at that time were concerned about Pete's youth and his lack of experience when it comes to dealing with staffs, uh, controversies, problems, and we wanted to see how he would weather storms. And so it really it was me the board of directors, we insisted that Skip stay on as chairman of the board. Uh, Skip did not want to stay on long. He wanted to stay on long enough for a transition, but we, we felt that it was in the best interest of each and every one of you that Skip uh, give the leadership as the chairman of the board till we could see how things turned out. And I'm glad Skip stayed on. Uh, we need Skip's leadership. We need his steady hand. I wish the best for Pete. Uh, I'm saddened over this, and I know God's got a plan for him, and we, we just wish God's blessing on him. We're kind of at a crossroads now, and it's kind of, okay, now, now what are we going to do? Well, God's got a plan, and I'm not sure what that plan is. i got an idea, and we need to pray and ask God's help in this. You don't want anybody standing behind this pulpit unless God's called them. And so we need to pray for God's wisdom that God will touch the heart of the right man and the right woman to come and to give the leadership to this church. Well, this morning, it's my privilege to welcome to this pulpit a man that I respect very much, uh, Skip Heitzig and his wife, Linya. Let me tell you something. Skip doesn't deserve Linya. Uh, he doesn't. She is an incredible helpmate, and we love both of them. And, you know, we need to pray for Skip and Linya as to what God would now have them to do. And uh, I know what my prayer is. Uh, I'm not going to share it with you, but I know what my prayer is. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, you can just pray that if it's God's will, that maybe the Holy Spirit will just blow these two right back here to Albuquerque. So, Skip, you and Linya come.
boy, you're a beautiful flock of sheep. <laughs> I do um, want you to know this, that um, this man here gives a lot of good advice. And one piece of advice he gave Skip and I when we left was to put our hand to the plow and not look back. And that's what we have done. We put our hand to the plow, and we have labored and worked at Ocean Hills. And there were hard days. You know, we said this is our firstborn, and you guys were such a wonderful, easy baby with a good temperament. And that one was a little colicky and didn't want to eat. (laughs) And uh, mamas, you know what that's like when you have one of those. But I'll tell you what, that baby has turned around. And we love that congregation, too. We love that staff. And two of the valiant men are here with us this morning. There's a men that have been praying with Skip, getting up early in the morning on their knees. And that church is on their knees, too, praying for you. And uh, we didn't know we'd be here this morning. We don't know what the Lord wants right now, but we're praying and seeking his face. And I want to tell you this. A church belongs to God. And it's a holy thing. We would never play with a holy thing. We're not playing with you. We're not playing with that church back home. We believe God must be glorified and his sheep must be edified. And that is our heart of hearts. And we don't want anyone saying, I am of Paul, I am of of Paulus, I am of Cephas. I'm not of Pete, I'm not of Skip, I'm for the Lord. And I'm for the Lord, and I am for you, and I'll tell you what, I bend my will to my Father's will. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And if you love us, you'll pray God will make that clear. Thank you. Well, you're right, buddy boy. I don't deserve that lady. (laughs) This week has been odd for me. I I did not know this was going to happen. I heard the news on the way to our church in the morning. I do Saturday evening service like here and then going to the morning services. I got a phone call. I didn't believe it. I got on the Internet between services. I was with Dennis Agajanian in the back room. He was um, singing for us, and we were watching the Internet, and uh, we were shocked. I knew I needed to be here, uh, but I also knew I had to finish the service. It's awfully rough to concentrate on a message on coveting and the Ten Commandments that we were doing, and then four chapters of Matthew, or three chapters of Matthew at Calvary Costa Mesa Sunday. And it's tough to concentrate on that, knowing this is going on. But we flew out here Monday, and I just want to share my heart with you. Um, I'm very saddened, I'm shocked, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're hurting. I'm sorry that your hearts are breaking. And you have the right to grieve, and we'll grieve with you. And Wednesday night, we had a great time of just, there was lots of tears, there was lots of prayers, but there was lots of resolve. And here's the basic resolve. This isn't Skip's church. This isn't Pete's church. We know where this started. This is 
the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. And you're a part of that. God is a God who does exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. It's my prayer that God will do for Pete and Angie exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or think. When Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts in the 15th chapter had a disagreement about who should be on their staff, it's interesting that they had such an argument, I mean they had a real argument, that they split company and as devastating as that seemed at the time, if you think about it, now God has two teams instead of one so that His work could spread further. And I think at some point we need to see it in that frame, in that light. God is a lot bigger than this. God has plans we, we know not of. But I owe you an apology. And what I mean by that is I wrote a letter to Pete about a month and a half ago where one of the things I wrote in there is, Pete, I love you. I'm behind you. I want you to stand. I want you to stay there. Your success is my success. Your failure would be my failure. So I apologize to you that I failed you. And uh, I feel you need to hear that from me. I'm sorry for the pain and the hurt that this has caused you. Uh, the reason I'm here, as we said Wednesday night, is it's like we have a couple different children. And the firstborn grows up and moves on, and secondborn gets its own footing after a while. But then you get a call one day that your, your firstborn's been in a terrible accident. And what do you do? Do you say, ah, whatever. No, you drop everything, don't you? You drop everything in life and you go to the, the bed of that firstborn because you care. You want to walk not away from that. You want to walk through that and to that, to them. So that's why we're here, to help heal this wound, to just bring uh, scripturally some resolve and some calm and some, some scripture to all this. So, since... This pulpit should be nothing more than about the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 27. If you remember back to September 11th, you know that on that day and the week following, other news wasn't as important, was it? Up to that point, there were articles about health care, about sports teams, about who would be the guest on David Letterman. Nobody cared after September 11th for quite a long while. The big news got rid of the littler news. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of the Spanish Civil War. And he says that there were psychiatric clinics in Barcelona and Madrid just before the Spanish Civil War and they were packed full of what he calls neurotics who were dealing with personal issues. They got personal counseling. A number of problems were in their lives, and there was a lot of those issues being dealt with. But he said the most striking thing about the Spanish Civil War is that when it started, it virtually emptied these clinics. Everybody left. They were suddenly cured by a greater anxiety 
Now those same people are wondering, will I have a house standing? Will my husband come back alive? Will my children make it through this? And what Lloyd-Jones says is that greater anxieties get rid of lesser ones. The happenings of this week have eclipsed lesser concerns. It could be that last week some of you were worried about the kinship you're in. You had some issues or the youth retreat or the carpet being stained at a particular place in the church. Suddenly, none of that matters. We're at a crisis point. But I saw something Wednesday night. I was here. Some of you were as well. I watched a couple thousand people on their knees in tears. More than that, in prayer. And then I saw them get up And I shared that moment for an hour afterwards with several people here. And we noted that night that there is a time to sit and weep, and we did that. There's a time to kneel and pray. We did and are doing that. But then there's a time to rise up and work. This is a time of grief. You should be given that. It's expected. It should never be minimized. It should never be marginalized. Our hearts are sad. They should be. And then we kneel to pray and ask God for now what, Lord? It's your church. But there does come a time when we're going to have to get the resolve to stand up and say, hand to the plow. Now we march forward. Now we, now we work for the Lord's kingdom. In Psalm 27, that is before us, it is obviously written during a time of crisis. In fact, national crisis. In fact, most commentators think a civil war that was dividing the nation. You'll notice certain words in the psalm. If you go to verse 2, the word wicked, enemies, and foes stand out. Verse 3, army, war, Verse 12, false witnesses breathe violence. It's pretty obvious from those words that there's a crisis going on, that there's trouble and issues flaming. But you can't just focus on those words. It would be a mistake. There's some other words to notice in that psalm. Words like strength, confident, beauty, sing, salvation, and goodness. You know why I'm pointing that out? Because this psalm gives to us what our attitude, believer's attitude, should be during a time of crisis. And briefly this morning, I want to give you five firm steps that you need and I need to take during this time of crisis. Five firm steps for hearts in crisis. Step number one, vigilance. Vigilance. It means be alert, be aware. Look down at verse 2. David declares, When the wicked camp against me to eat up my flesh, verse 3 speaks of an army and war that would rise up. David wrote those words because those were real experiences in David's life. He was a warrior. He was a soldier before being a king. David was never naive. David knew that he lived in a fallen world and that bad things will happen to good people. 
And you and I should never be naive. You know, Jesus said plainly that God causes the sun as well as the rain to fall on the good and the not so good, the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. And trials happen to individuals. They also happen to groups. They happen to churches. Conflicts and crisis can happen to a church. You've read the New Testament. You're not naive on this. You've read First and Second Corinthians. You know that that church had its fair share of crisis. It was torn by divisions. Some people were saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. There were doctrinal crises over the resurrection, over spiritual gifts. There was a crisis of love. There was even immorality in the church that was dividing it. There was the church at Jerusalem that had a crisis of persecution, of financial issues, scattering of the flock. There was the church at Ephesus that had uh, leadership, transitional issues. And whenever there is a crisis or a trial, it's a mistake to think, well, it's because there's sin in that person's life. Look, there's a Christian suffering. There must be sin. Or there's a church that is experiencing conflict. There must be sin. If you just for a moment think about Job, boy, talk about a guy who had trials and lost everything, family, possessions. And yet the Lord remarks on the character of Job and says, Have you considered my servant Job blameless, upright? So it's a mistake to think that way. I love what Reader's Digest once wrote. They said, expecting not to be treated badly just because you're a good person is sort of like expecting an angry bull not to attack you just because you're a vegetarian. (laughs) Folks, sometimes God will calm your storms, but more often He will calm you in the storm. We'd love it if He just do the first all the time. Lord, is the storm, take it away. You know, that would be a mistake. Because it's the storm that gives you strength. It hones you. It tests you. It gives you steel and character. So rather than asking the Lord to remove the storm, how about asking the Lord to calm you and I during this storm? Vigilance, then, is the first step. Be alert. Be aware. Be vigilant, Peter said. Your adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Don't let him... Second firm step to take in a crisis is confidence. Look at the first three verses of this psalm. David writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. In a crisis, you know what the most typical emotion is? Fear. Ask any counselor. Fear. I'm afraid. Now what? That's why soldiers in a battle are trained to harness their fear as they march into harm's way. I heard about a boy who was afraid of the dark. It was one evening and his mother said, Son, go to the back porch and go get the broom. The little boy said, I can't go outside and get the broom. It's dark. 
And mom said, don't worry about the dark. Jesus is out there. The little boy said, are you sure Jesus is out there? Yes, said the mother. Jesus is everywhere. You have nothing to be afraid of. Go get the broom. In little boy fashion, he opened the back door just a little bit enough to yell out, Jesus, if you're out there, would you hand me the broom? (laughs) Verse 1, the Lord is my light. Same verse, the Lord is the strength of my life. Verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Where is David's confidence? Is it in David? Is it in David's strategy and scheming and organization? It's pretty clear that he is confident in a crisis in the Lord. Now, folks, you're going to have to determine where you look during this crisis, where you place your eyes If you place your eyes and trust and hope and confidence in people, you've already failed. As I recall, Jesus never said, follow my people. He said, follow me. So he says, my hope, my trust, my light is the Lord. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. I know it's dark. This event has sort of become like this huge, ominous, dark cloud that would want to settle over this fellowship. That's why we're here today to say, well, in the midst of the darkness, the Lord is my light. So I'm going to encourage you to jump into the light in the midst of this darkness. This time of darkness can either paralyze us or galvanize us. It can shut us down or drive us forward. And one of the greatest things I heard Wednesday night from a lot of people is, I'm brokenhearted, I'm saddened, this is horrible, but this is doing something to us. This is purifying us. And a couple people said, I don't know why, but I'm excited about what God's now going to do in the future. The third firm step, reverence. Verse 4 declares, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. There's a few key words that I pick up on in that little section. Desired, seek, inquire. Now, this is David's heartfelt prayer to the Lord. All this is, is humble reverence and worship before God. Now, this is key. It is so easy to lose sight of God in a crisis because the nature of a crisis is it's overwhelming. It's huge. And we get so fixated on the crisis, we forget God. God. 
And the solution is to let God overwhelm the crisis. If you were to go outside and look up at the sun, and I wouldn't recommend you do it directly, but the sun is a pretty large object. It's a huge, massive amount of energy, many times larger than our earth. But did you know that a tiny object like your hand can obscure the glory, brilliance, and power of the sun? Easy. Just do this. And you can look anywhere and see nothing. This little object obscures that brilliant mass of energy because of proximity. But if you could move it out a little bit further, it gets smaller and smaller. And in a trial, we have the tendency to bring our trial right here, our crisis right here. That's all we can see. And the key is to put it in perspective. We're dealing with a big God here. He's the one who said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Job was facing the greatest trial of his life, his dear wife came to him and gave him some interesting counsel. In looking around, saw that her children were dead and her house was gone and there was complete ruin and devastation, she turned to her husband and said, Honey, curse God and die. Good counsel, huh? You know what Job did? The Bible says Job rose up, tore his robe, fell down on the ground, and worshipped. That's reverence. He worshipped the Lord. It's a firm step. He says here, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Do you hear that emphasis? Do you hear those words? Do you hear the tone in his voice? There's one thing here. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to worship and reverence Him. It's like a, a sniper with a scope on his rifle focusing in on one object. One thing I have desired of the Lord. Folks, listen. Life is unpredictable. This week has proven that. And that's why... You will never stand in a crisis unless you prepare for the crisis well in advance. If you wait till the day of the crisis and say, now what do I do? It's a little too late. You want to have been prepared before that. And David said, I'm prepared. And my preparation has been seeking the Lord and being in His presence. David's battles were won in private. His public battles were won long before the battle began in his private time with the Lord. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. You'll never faint if you pray. But if you don't pray, (laughs) you will faint. In World War II, when London was being bombed by the Nazis, and the buildings were decimated, and people were in fear... One church in London decided to post a sign out front, and I love what they put. They said, if your knees knock, kneel on them. Isn't that good advice? Maybe we had to post that right out front on Osuna Road. Are your knees knocking? Kneel on them. Pray. Seek the Lord. Worship the Lord. Place Him first. Look at the last phrase of verse 4. To behold 
the beauty of the Lord. Wow. Wow. In the ugliness of the war that David sees all around him, he decides not to behold the ugliness, but to behold the beauty of the Lord. There's a lot of people who in any situation will just focus on the ugly stuff, the war, the bad stuff. You could do an experiment. If we held up a white sheet and put a big black smudge on it, what would you notice? You wouldn't say, wow, you know there's a whole lot of white on that sheet. You'd say, there's a smudge. It's human nature. He says, I've decided to focus in in this time on the beauty of the Lord. I want to read something to you about your brothers and sisters in Iraq. Did you know that there are not just mosques, but Christian churches in Iraq who suffer a lot more than we do? And since the Gulf War, one and two have suffered incredible loss, but they still meet, trust the Lord. Here's a little quip I want to read. On Sunday, some of our friends went to church in the morning. This is in Iraq. During the Lord's Prayer, as they finished these words, quote, and deliver us from evil, they heard a terrible explosion not far away. They know God is with them, protecting and encouraging them. One man said at the beginning of the conflict that everyone in the congregation was feeling drained and worn down with fear. But then they felt God was speaking to them, telling them to be encouragers for others, and their strength returned, and now they feel stronger than they did before the war started. Now, did you get that? There's a group of believers in a dark time of crisis who are deciding, let's focus on the beauty of the Lord. So those are firm steps. The fourth step is obedience. Verse 8. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You notice the quick response here, didn't you, in verse 8? As soon as the Lord said to me, Seek my face, David. I immediately responded and said, Right on. I'll do it. I'm there. Your face, Lord, will I seek. There's this obedience to the Word of God. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but it's as if David is saying, Lord, this crisis has amplified your voice And I'm able to hear you now better than ever before. I bet you've noticed something in a time of a crisis. I bet you notice that when you open the Bible, when things are really bad, the words just seem to jump out at you. I've read that, but I never quite noticed it like that before. Boom, boom. Pain, suffering, crisis does amplify God's voice. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He shouts to us in our pain. Pain, he said, is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I've got to tell you, the volume's been pretty loud in my ears this last week. I feel like God has been shouting to me of the brevity of life, the need to make every moment count. I feel like God has been shouting to me, priorities must be kept intact. 
Like God has been yelling to me, it's the time to heal, not divide. It's the time to stand together with a flock, not run. Obedience. Also, because of the overwhelming nature of any crisis, we tend to be reactive, not obedient. We tend to forget what the book says during a crisis and knee-jerk react to things around us. It's our nature. So that we can start neglecting things like prayer, things like Bible study, things like fellowship, because we become so overwhelmed that we just we pull back from what's important and we react. I'll give you an example. During the Gulf War, the, when it first started, both Gulf War I and II, I was glued to television, watching the news. I was going to say CNN, but Fox News. We're Christians here, right? Fox News broadcast. I watched it. I was glued to it. And I wanted information of the embedded reporters. I discovered something. The information didn't calm my heart. I didn't walk away from an episode of watching the news saying, I feel so much better. I didn't. I felt worse. I didn't need information. I needed transformation. Information won't help heal a broken heart. Transformation will. The first question people ask when a relative dies, or especially if there's a suicide, the persons around that individual will always ask, Why? They want reasons. I have a hunch that if I could have produced ten reasons why your relative committed suicide, it wouldn't make them feel any better. Because we, we don't need reasons as much as resources. God's resources. And so a firm step is obedience. Look at verse 10 with me. It may be particularly applicable today. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You're the Lord's flock. David is saying, there are significant people in my life, and if I lose them, I haven't lost. Because the Lord has promised, He'll never leave. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's what He's promised you, hasn't He? Do you believe that this morning? My father and mother forsake me. The Lord will take me up or take care of me. I met a man in India several years ago who had a story based upon this verse. His name was Joy. J-O-Y. Joy Kutichako. Big smile from ear to ear. And his name really befitted his personality. What he said is, I'm the son of a Hindu priest. I converted to Christ as a young man. When I went back home to tell my father especially that I am now a Christian, my father's response was to pick up a knife and kill me. I ran from home. He said, I've never seen my parents since. I felt that I was forsaken by my father and my mother. As I ran away and I was in the jungle, uh, a missionary had given me a New Testament. I opened, and Psalms, I opened it up. And he goes, I didn't know where things were in the Bible. I just happened to open up to Psalm 27, verse 10. They said, it was the first words I read in the Bible. 
When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. And he had a big smile on his face and said, And that is why I am so happy. (laughs) You have every reason for joy. Simply because this is the Lord's church and he will never leave you. And you and I take these firm steps as we march forward. Quickly, the fifth step, and we'll close, is the step of expectance. Look at verse 13. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Who's he talking to? Himself. Be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, if you read the Psalms a lot, and you really ought to, probably at least read one a day, you'll discover that David liked to talk to himself in the Psalms, Psalm 62. Wait, my soul, on the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. He does it a lot. He encourages his own heart in the Lord. My dad used to say that he liked to talk to himself because he liked to talk to a wise man. (laughs) He was my dad, so I never argued with him. Here's the question. Can you say, I would have lost heart unless I have expected to see the goodness of God? Where is your expectation? Where is it from? Who are you waiting on? Who are you trusting Him? Have you entrusted this time to the Lord? And do you honestly expect to see the goodness of God in the land of the living? As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because He was my friend. But then, instead of leaving Him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last, I snatched them back and cried, How can you be so slow? My child, he said, What could I do? You never did let go. It's time to entrust, to let go and entrust this, this body, into the hands of the Lord, whose church it is, and expect from Him to see good things. Heavenly Father, You're a good God. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We declare that. We believe that. And it's our prayer that you would calm, steady, heal broken hearts. And Father, our prayer is that you would take Pete and Angie and so abundantly bless their lives and shower them with your love and comfort their hearts and lead them in paths of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.